Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Meantime, Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline from The Athletic. He is our friend, Bob Kravitz. So I, I apologize. I am one of those guys in this case. I just read the headline. So Jim Harbaugh is the solution here. Yeah. Did I did I get that accurately? I don't want to be just a headline reading guy. You deserve more respect than that. I apologize, sir. But uh, so Harbaugh should be the guy. Yeah. Well, look. Do I think he'll come here? No. There's no quarterback here. Uh, this team is a hot mess. Uh, the owner has been acting uh, in a in a very poor manner all season long. I would not come here if I was Jim Harbaugh who is not desperate for a job uh, in the NFL. That said, he needs to be the top target, in my view. Uh, he's got, obviously, he's got the Colts background. He's in the ring of honor, although I have no idea why. He's 22 and 26 and had that one good year in 95. But, uh, yeah, I, I think he's the first that, uh, to try to get this thing straight. He's had a ton of success. Everywhere he's been, yeah, he's quirky. He's also charismatic, and and I think the owner needs to make a splash higher uh, to sell to sell to this fan base, which has had enough of this crap. So Bob Kravitz of the Athletics on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Um, Jim Irsay really did certainly want Jeff Saturday to be the longer term coach. And I've said this, I still believe he wants him to be the longer-term head coach. I think the problem is when you thrust him in there like this, anybody was going to see these similar results, Bob. I mean, anybody. Bubba Ventrone, John Fox, anybody was going to see this team look like crap. And now, no matter what you want, and you want him to look as good as possible to sell to a fan base, now this fan base believes this is a joke hire, much like a lot of the national folks did when this hire was made. So that's an issue. I, I completely agree with you, which means I need to get my head checked. But honestly, if, if he really wanted Saturday, he should have played it out with, with Reich or gone to John Fox or Ventrone or whomever, Gus Bradley, let them take the lumps. And then at the beginning of the season, when Jeff's got like an entire off season to prepare, uh, then you hire him. At this point, he's, He's not attractive, you know. He he's not. He's, there's no way you can sell Jeff Saturday to this to this fan base. Uh, assuming they they don't win another game, like maybe Houston, because uh, Houston will be in full tank mode. But there's there's no there's no way you can sell Jeff Saturday to this fan base. That's why I think you have to at least make the effort to go after Jim Harbaugh because, to me, he is the best candidate based on his history uh, here in Indy, uh, based on his history uh, of success uh, with the San Francisco 49ers at Michigan, hell, at University of San Diego. I mean, he's been 
successful everywhere he's gone. Is he a strange dude? Yeah, he is. But, I'm, you know, they've had really good, nice guys here for years and years and years. And I think they need, they need somebody who's going to kick some butt around here. And I think, uh, I think Harbaugh is the best candidate uh, toward that end. What's so ridiculous about this is, you know, you, you hire Jeff Saturday if you're Jim Rose because you really do want him to be the coach. You believe in him, um, and you want him to get his, his feet wet, and then you want to see, you know, proven positive results. But, you know, as it stands, after that Philadelphia game, we have all now zeroed in on the conclusion, Bob, where the best results for this team in the longer-term future is losing games. Thus, the coach that you're trying to believe in, that you're trying to sell everybody, you know, the best-case scenario would be him losing games. So it just, I mean, it really doesn't make any sense where he ended up hiring him if he wanted him around longer term, because as you mentioned, as I mentioned, this is going to be an impossible sell. Right. Right. And you know, I I don't know if it was Jake or Kevin this morning. I just was listening to your promo before I came on and somebody was saying, you know, it's time to bench Matt Ryan for who, I mean, seriously, for who you're going to lose every game except for the Houston game, no matter who you put out there. No matter, I mean, Ellinger, Foles, bring back Scott's old scene, for God's sake. Whoever you put out there is going to get their head beat in. And, yeah, I mean, look, yeah, have I seen enough Matt Ryan? Sure. But n- none of these guys are going to make a difference. So they are, they're at cross purposes. They want Jeff Saturday to look as good and as attractive to the fan base as humanly possible. And, you know, Look, we've seen two of the last three games where he's made some serious errors, you know, clock management, throwing the throwing the challenge flag. I realize that veteran coaches make mistakes, but I think we're seeing his lack of experience show itself. Bob Kravitz joins us. The other angle on this is the last two games have been a long-term fight organizationally to the top in Jim Irsay to get them to be able to host these standalone, nationally televised Monday night and, and, you know, Sunday nighters to be on Sunday night football again as they were on the road in Dallas last night. I mean, this was was something shiny that the owner wanted as well. And to have these results, do you think at all that the past three games might be changing the mind of Jim Mercer on how he originally felt about Jeff Saturday? Well, I don't know. I, I haven't talked to Jim about it. Um, I I would doubt it, but I think Jim is smart enough to know that if they go whatever, one and one whatever, two and whatever uh, under Jeff, which is what's going to happen, that um, that's an impossible sell to this fan base. I, I just don't see how you can bring him back. You know, look, he, he had no chance. He had no chance, and I give him credit for taking on the challenge. He did it for all the right reasons, but it, this, this is a mess. And, look, you know, none of this matters until they find a quarterback. And where, you know, they're, the good news about last night is they're moving up every Sunday or and Monday. They're moving up in the draft order. So if they get to the top ten, then, yeah, maybe they can make a move 
to get themselves one of the top two guys. If not, you know, maybe they, you know, I mean, they're going to be in position to get themselves a quarterback. Um, so, yeah, it's it's an ugly, it's, it's just ugly. And, boy, I never saw it coming. I thought this would be a slightly better team than last year. I thought they were a 10-win team. And uh, I know I'm not alone when, when, I, when I say I was wrong. I was very wrong. Well, I want to get to Ballard and, you know, wrestling with his suit coat jacket and where he is right now. And you're number six with you in a second. But uh, Bob Kravitz joins us. I, I kind of look at where this Colts team is right now, really from top to bottom. Um, it's like me in 1987 going to the Eastern High School prom in the Frangipani room on the campus of Indiana University, you really couldn't be less attractive, could you not? This gig's kind of like me in 1987 right now. Would you agree? Well, uh, I don't know. I had a good time at the prom. I looked pretty damn good in my leisure suit. I'm just saying. <laughs> I look pretty pretty sharp. No, it's, look, you know, I mean, somebody had brought up Ballard before. I blow the whole damn thing up. I mean, it's been six years, and this is the result. Uh, that said, based on on the people that I've talked to, the sense I get is that Ballard will be back. Um, if you're asking me uh, what's the best way to move forward, I think they need to start over. I, I, I think it's, it hasn't worked. I realize he's had a million quarterbacks, but part of that, that's on him, you know. Uh you know, they needed, they needed to go and get, you know, the problem was they thought that they were close and they just needed a decent quarterback to kind of get them over to hump. And they're close. We're finding out just how far away they truly are. And the reason why they're far away rests firmly on the shoulders of your number six and Chris Ballard. And we're talking about selling things in the offseason directionally to Colts fans. I don't think anything will turn them off any more than running back the general manager that has led them down this faulty path of a build in the first place. Right. And, and look, it, it, let, let's just say, for the sake of, our, of argument, let's say that they bring in Jim Harbaugh. Okay? It, it's a long shot. I recognize that. It's a, it's a wishful thinking. But, you know, he he took over. He came to San Francisco with, Trent Balky already in position as a GM. They did not get along. That turned into a total, total bleep show uh, in San Francisco. They got rid of him, and then they went in the tank with Jim Tomsula. So, if you bring in, if you bring in Harbaugh, is he going to want his own guy? I don't think he's going to want personnel control. That was never an issue in San Francisco, according to the folks out there that I've spoken with. But he he may be better off with somebody that he wants. So I, I think you have to look at the next coach and see, you know, I mean, look, if it's just another coordinator, they'll probably hold on to Ballard. I think he's coming back. I, I, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's a hard sell. But I think that's the direction they're headed, which is uh, regrettable. Yeah, I, and, and then, you know, he's going to have, you know, all the power to choose – Assuming that it has to be the uh, franchise's longer-term quarterback, I, I just not a lot that makes sense out of that to me whatsoever. Do you, do you, do you, do you, 
you do you trust him? No, not in the least. No. And you know, yeah. people always say, "Well, you're so personal against him." I'm not personal against him. I'm just going no. by the results. The the results yeah. in six years, Bob, where he was leading this team and the type of philosophy he had on, on the construction of this team has failed. It's regressed and failing miserably right now. And I have said enough's enough. We, we have seen it. There's nowhere else to go, and it needs to be new and fresh regardless of the direction, I think, here. You know, they, they've got some elite players. Uh, you know, the fact that they had seven pro bowlers last year. But they're, they're elite players in a lot of, a lot of positions that don't make a difference, don't make the kind of difference that you need to be a great team. Uh, you know, they're still looking for a, for a, uh, a pass rusher. They're still looking for a quarterback. Uh, they're still looking for wide receivers, although some of those guys are, you know, they've, they've been better than I expected them, expected them to be. Uh, you know, they don't, they don't you know, they, they, need, they need to rebuild this thing. I think it's going to be a long, you know, kind of a long rebuild. But I'll tell you what, if you somehow get fortunate in the draft and you get a quarterback who's the, got the right stuff, it could be quicker than you think. Yeah, I don't know, man. I just I kind of look at it right here. I, I guess I'm a little bit more down on I, I kind of put it in terms of Apollo 13 when they ask, you know, one on the ship is good. I, I don't see a lot, and what I mean by that is not, Bob, that they can't be good in spurts or in moments, but there has not been this season, outside of maybe Grover Stewart, anything on this team that has been consistently good. You know what I mean? Consistently good to where it needs to be for this team to challenge even a 7-5 and five and right now disappointing Titans team, which has to make everybody sick. They're going to give anybody an opportunity to try to catch them. Just nobody else within this AFC South is good enough to even come close to trying to catch them. So that makes it that has to make Jim Irsay even more sick. Yeah, it, it's been a monument to under, underachievement. Uh, you know, I think Gilmore has played well. Grover, uh, Stewart, I think Buckner's had a good year. Uh, you know, you can go across the board. Couple guys have had decent years individually, but uh, look, it, when you don't have a quarterback, everything looks bad. And the offensive line, look, they, they've been horrible. I mean, horrendous. Uh, but if you don't have a quarterback, you got nothing, and you and everybody's going to look bad. Uh, so that's kind of where they are. And um, you know, the question is, who's going to make the decision? Uh, on on the next coach. Well, I mean, we know who's going to make the decision, Jim Irsay. But well, you know, who's going to come in? What's he going to do with Ballard? It's going to be a really interesting offseason. I'm actually excited for the first time in my career to go to the combine because we're <laughs> we're going to be searching searching for QBs, baby. So Bob Kravitz of the Athletic. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You know, we've talked about, obviously, the coaching situation with Jeff Saturday, what was with Frank Reich, maybe the way this should have been handled. How bad, considering where they are organizationally right now, has this season been botched and by the owner, Jim Ursay? And what I say by that is, too, he also, with videos and tweets and conversationally, sets the bar so high and never reaches what he talks about they're going to reach 
And people, it's just, people just kind of look at it, and now it kind of falls on deaf ears. Well, this is what we're going to do, and this is how much better we are. And, you know, it's, you know, you're crying wolf here at this point regarding yeah, this team if you're the team's owner. Yeah, I was just going to say that. He's the boy who cried all chips in. And that never quite occurred. And, look, Jim has not covered himself in glory. He's a, he's a really good owner. I think he's got the best interests of this fan, this uh, organization and fan base at heart. That said, they were 3-3-1 three, three and one when he pulled the plug on Ryan. Was Ryan any good? No. No. I was... You know, I, you could make the argument that they should turn to Nick Foles, but turning to Sam Ellinger at 3-3-1 three, three and one, uh, made no sense. So, uh, you know, and he's the one who Jim has meddled big time in this season. And I, I don't know why. I, I, I don't know. He's always been a guy who gave you input uh, organizationally. Uh, he was a great sounding board. But he has been more proactive this season than in any season that I can remember the 22 years I've been in Indianapolis. Uh, and I, I think he needs to get the hell out of the way, is what I think. You know, get your GM. Well, yeah, uh, get, yeah. Get and he, need, he needs somebody he, he needs somebody like what he had in, in Bill Polian yeah. that took everything, that did everything. Yeah, knew how many paper clips was – you know, on the secretary's desk or whatever. He needs that. I mean, you mentioned, you know, Jim Harbaugh, and none of this is going to happen, but I mentioned somebody like, like Sean Payton to where, all right, oh, you can go and you can concentrate on singing in your band, you know, and having your pop culture and music museum, and then he's going to concentrate on every single aspect and be the overseer on everything of your football right. organization. That's, that's, to me, the type of person that's necessary. You know, Sean Payton would be perfect. The problem is that when Sean Payton was talking about dysfunctional franchises, he was looking directly at the Indianapolis Colts. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt in my mind. So, uh, you know, I I think Jim has really uh, hurt himself uh, in terms of his reputation. I think, uh, you know, this organization's a hot mess right now, and I, I don't know how they fix it. I really don't. So Bob Kravitz of the Athletic. Go ahead. Sorry, Bob. No, I was just saying, I mean, I don't know what you do besides blow it up. I I really don't. Hey, John, I'm getting ready to uh, pull into a parking garage uh, up here in Muncie, so I'm going to lose you here in a moment. So just let you know. Are you going to see the fighting Michael Lewis's? I am not. I have just gotten a part-time job as a sports journalist in residence working with the Ball State journalism uh, students, uh, the people who work on the school newspaper, et cetera, et cetera, and I'm excited about it, and I'm, I'm headed up there now. Wait a minute. You're shaping young minds beginning this is evening. Scary as, is that scary hey. as hell or what? Yeah, I don't want to hear about any puff, puff, pass type of shaping the young minds up there, okay? I know what you do. <laughs> Won't happen. Won't happen. All right, buddy. I appreciate you. Thanks, Bob. All right. Thanks, man. So, Bob Kravitz of The Athletic. Shaping young minds, apparently. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love 
hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You heard him this morning alongside Kevin Bowen. Inexplicably, Mark Dykton was out. I think Sam Fritz was doing the producer work for the fellows this morning. Jake Query of the Morning Show, Kevin and Query, with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So Dykton, Dykton has more vacation time than all of us put together. <laughs> I, I, listen, I don't know if he got like 11 weeks. I don't know what the deal was. The best was Sam Fritz, who does a great job. Sam comes in this morning and puts together a show open for us, you know, of highlights, music, and whatnot. And Sam put together the, the highlights of nothing but the Colts scoring plays. <laughs> and so the show open starts, and it's like <laughs> – Touchdown, Colts, field goal, Colts. Here's a sack for the Colts. <laughs> Finally, Bowen mutes his mic and looks at Sam and goes, you got any Cowboys plays on here? He's like, no, uh-uh, just, just the Colts stuff. <laughs> We're like, well, let's go ahead and uh, cut this off to let folks know that it was not all roses and lollipops last night, and it was U-G-L-Y ugly, man, in that fourth quarter. That fourth quarter if was you- unbelievable. If you would have gone to bed right before the start of the fourth quarter, you probably – got up this morning and thought what in the hell happened here with that final score and and that fourth quarter was every bit as bad as the final score would indicate right there giving up 33 is ridiculous i mean it just was i mean literally once they started taking on water i mean it was like a fire hose right and just turnover after i mean they they invented ways to turn the ball over and, I mean, this is the thing that I'm, I'm, for the Colts' sake, if I was a member of the Colts organization, that I'd be the most proud of. That I, I said this morning they should probably hang a banner for this. They have to be, have to be, the first team in the history of the National Football League to give up 33 unanswered points in one quarter, lose by 35, and take the victory formation to round out the clock. <laughs> Yeah, they literally took a knee to round out the clock at the end of the game. Like, let's yeah. just get out of here. Brutal. Yeah, that's yeah, that's like the the, the, the uh, essential white flag is what you're talking about right there too, in the fashion in which they did it. I um I look back on it and I brought this up to Bob Kravitz a little bit earlier. He's on the Jim Harbaugh bandwagon. Um, you, know, you and I were kind of talking about this off the air a little bit earlier. I mean, maybe. Maybe there's a slight bit of interest. You know, maybe it's more than that. I'm not sure. But I, I think what is, I guess, unfortunate from a Jim Ursay standpoint is I know what, what he wants. He wants Jeff Saturday. But, Jake, the problem is he thrust him into that situation where no matter who you're going to put in there, you know, whether it was still Frank Reich or, you know, Gus Bradley or John Fox or whomever, the results were still going to be as we've seen it. And now all this in the past four weeks with that one win and three losses, and especially the last two on Monday night and Sunday night, they're all on the shoulders of Jeff Saturday. And that's how everybody views him as not ready for this gig. Whereas if you just wait and let the season play out, 
then you can take a shot at him in the offseason, give him an offseason to work his way uh, with his team, you know, become a head coach, do all that, and not put him in the situation in which he did. I, I think that I think that really sheds a light on a lot of fans right now believing Jeff Saturday's not it, and I think that's the fault of the owner. Okay, I, I thought about this last night, and follow me here because this is probably yeah. totally out of left field, okay? Is it possible, and maybe it's giving Jim Mersey too much credit here, I don't know, but is it possible, John, that Jim Mersey knew as soon as he was ready to move on from Frank Reich, he knew exactly who his guy was going to be. Now, you have to go through the Rooney rule and the processes, but he knew exactly who he was going to get. He knew exactly how much he was going to pony up to get that guy, and he knew that any other person that he put in position as an interim, be it Gus Bradley or John Fox or somebody of that ilk, that there would be expectation and pressure both internally and externally to go ahead and make that person the permanent coach if they had any success whatsoever. And there would be some explaining to do or some awkward nature to it if they went elsewhere. So he went completely outside of the box with Jeff Saturday, knowing that there would be very little expectation that that means that Saturday would be retained as the full-time coach next year, or that if he decided to go elsewhere from Jeff Saturday, that the expectation would be that Saturday was never thought of as the guy anyway. And therefore, this was all calculated because he has known from the get-go that Jim Harbaugh was his guy and he was going to back up the Brinks truck to get him. And so it didn't matter who the interim was. You believe that? Does that make sense at all? You be- do you believe that? I'm not saying I, I believe, believe that I he would want him, but to me, my belief is, and again, I could be clearly wrong. My belief is that uh, Jim Harbaugh would not be ready for this gig right now. Maybe wouldn't even want this gig right now. Well, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, if Jim Irsay, and I'm presenting this as a just as a potential, understand? I don't think this is fact, but but what I'm saying is, it is. I don't think you can rule out that Jim Irsay, the Jim Irsay hired Jeff Saturday as his interim coach for one of three reasons. Number one, because he really truly wanted to, to test his medal as a coach and thought he might have something in him where he found a diamond in the rough. Number two, because he just felt like his franchise was in disarray and he trusted Jeff Saturday to be able to get the hands on the wheel and back in the center lane. Or number three, because he knew that he already had who the guy was that he was going to go after. And so Jeff Saturday allowed him an interim coach that that nobody was going to expect or pressure him to hire full-time. Now, I think it's probably option A there, but I don't think you can rule anything out. I do believe I have zero credible, like, information or tip on this. I want to be clear on that. But I do believe that Jim Harbaugh is his primary target. And I think that when you look at what Frank Reich was reportedly making, which is about on par – with what Jim Harbaugh is making at Michigan, in particular if Michigan wins the championship this year, but even still, with the Big Ten expanding and, and the things being kind of realigned a little bit, et cetera, et cetera, I think Harbaugh would have interest personally, especially when I think, I think Jim Irsay might throw him really good money. 
But I think Harbaugh, I do think that Harbaugh is on a very short list, and that list probably is on a post-it note. Yeah, I think this, Jake. I think that he hired Jeff Saturday on an interim because that's who he wanted and still wants to be the head coach this year. And that's why I brought up the fact that, you know, you put him in a spot where anybody was going to fail to this point in the season with this group. And, you know, now you're not going to have the fan base, you know, the fan base as much as it could have been on your side. You know, there still would have been some skepticism if you would have done this in the off season, but now this is going to be, this bad team is going to be attached to him this year. And I think that that hurts Jim Mercer's selling point. And I, I, you may be right. He may ultimately want Jim Harbaugh, but I think he really wants Jeff Saturday to succeed and be the head coach here going into next year, more so than anything else. Yeah, that may be. I mean, and I, I'll be honest, I trust you on that. I mean, I, I think you may be more dialed in there. But I, I do think here's the thing. I do believe that if he so chooses, that Jeff Saturday will be a part of the organization next year in some way, shape, or form. I don't know yeah. if you can say that for everybody, but I, I think you can more definitively say that outside of Jim Irsay, obviously, about Jeff Saturday yeah. than anybody else. But, um, look, they're just they're not very good. I, I mean, that's the bottom line. They're not very good. And Saturday's been put in a tough spot for certain. You know, do I, I think they'll still win another game because I think they'll beat Houston at the end of the year. But outside of that, their schedule is not very favorable for them to <laughs> – to get any sort of footing here whatsoever. I just feel like last night, you and I talked earlier, John, off the air, and I think we both agreed to the fact that last night was kind of the final nail in, okay, you know, talking in terms of the speculation of things turning around for this year or whatever else officially died last night. I know mathematically it's still a possibility, but it's over, and I think they know it's over. Jake Query, the morning show, Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. Jake's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, you watch that fourth quarter, and I know that a lot of people would say, well, how do you know that they gave up? How do you know that they dialed it down? That looked like a defense that decelerated and a resistance that was clearly there early in the game when the game was still in doubt and when they were playing decently. And I can kind of understand when you have that landslide of mistakes because of your offense fall on your head, yeah, you probably would uh, be inclined maybe to back away a little bit too. But I thought, I thought that that was evident, and I thought that that probably is something else that's going to fall on the shoulders of the interim head coach. If anybody goes back and watches that, I'm sure, as they're doing today and will do uh, for the better part of the week or the bye week coming up. So I thought it was evident last night that, that their resistance with uh, what was going on with that 33-point fourth quarter was was not there and I don't care who you are that's still disappointing to see my favorite statistic from last night and it might be my favorite Colts statistic of all time and I'll give a little bit of pass to the defense because they've been put in tough spots I mean the look they got no rest right because every time they came off the field then boom there was another turn I mean at one point they turned it over what four mm-hmm. straight possessions you know, and you're thinking, good Lord, I didn't even have time to, like, figure out what flavor Gatorade we've got, and I'm back on the field again. But my favorite statistic is that last night, and I tweeted it, I said it this morning, so my apology for the redundancy, but I don't think I've ever seen this, John, ever. A box score for the Indianapolis Colts 
where they had a seventh string offensive lineman, a, I believe, or it's not seventh string, sorry, seventh round drafted offensive lineman, a fourth round drafted tight end, an undrafted free agent wide receiver, all credited with a tackle, but a second round drafted defensive tackle that did not have a solo tackle last night. That is the most awesome stat ever. And that right there is indication that nothing went your way and that the other team's defense was moving the ball more than your offense. I I mean, just every single aspect of that fourth quarter was a total and utter disaster. And it illuminated in one quarter, literally one quarter last night personified this season's Indianapolis Colts, because the game started out with a little bit of promise and then the roof caved in and it went to hell in a handbasket. The season started out with somewhat of promise before Houston, before that ugly tie. And then things quickly went to hell in a handbasket and then everything got away from them. And that's exactly what happened last night in the game itself. And the areas that we've talked about at nauseum all season long as being glaring that were never addressed all came to fruition last night and burnt them in a 30, 33 to nothing quarter. Ridiculous. So Jake Query on the Andy Moron and Motive Group Pylon. If you don't mind, I, I do want to double back. The point you made regarding Harbaugh and, and your belief from what you hear. And let me go a different direction with you here. From Jeff Saturday, the coach, to Jeff Saturday, the evaluator. And we've been highly critical of Jim Ursay, highly critical of Chris Ballard, highly critical of Jeff Saturday now and this team from top to bottom. But is this... Maybe on the other side of things, a Jim Irsay plan of Jeff Saturday, as he mentioned before he got the gig, evaluating this team to where ultimately their bigger goal is to get a bigger, more well-known, certainly more experienced head coach in here. And then as we've talked about before, leaving Jeff as the general manager or Jeff as the player personnel decision maker, something like that. Is this a part of that major plan? Do you believe that to be the case? You know, I, I don't. I, I, my challenge here is this. My worry, I should say, John, is that Jim Mersey maybe made reactionary decisions without thinking things all the way through, which contradicts what I said earlier. I mean, I think, I think everything's on the table. I mean, I think it's possible that there was a long, thought-out, pre-planned process in place, and this is part of it. I think it's also possible that he got super PO'd after a game and just said, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore, and fired his coach and then thought, well, now what do I do? And called Jeff Saturday because he didn't have a plan B at that point. I don't think that's the case, but I don't think you can rule it out, quite frankly. All I know is that it would make sense, obviously, that Jim Harbaugh – I mean, there's a history here, right? I mean, listen – Jim Mersey knows Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh knows not only the Colts, but the city of Indianapolis. I mean, he's been a part of the community well past his playing career here because of obviously his brother-in-law, but also because he was an IndyCar owner and he just driven the pace car. I mean, he's been, you know, he's been a part of Indianapolis for a long time beyond his playing career and and into his coaching career. Um, I, I, Harbaugh to me would make a lot of sense. He's been to a Super Bowl as a coach. He clearly, you know, he went to a Super Bowl with Colin Kaepernick, who I think is a talented guy, but nobody's ever going to mistake him for a Hall of Fame level quarterback. 
So I think he's a he can coach the quarterbacking position at the professional level. He's he can run a good offense at the offensive or at the, at the professional level. I just think he makes sense, and I think that in addition to that. He represents something that Jim Mercer covets very much, which is a guy who has familiarity and history with the franchise. I think having history with the franchise is important to Jim Mercer. And so it just stands to reason that Jim Harbaugh would be a guy that he would have interest in. Now, like I said, there's going to have to be a process. And the problem with Jeff Saturday, if that's his long-term goal, I, 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 and I'm not saying that the Colts should worry about this, and I'm not saying that this should factor into executive decisions, John. But the reality is that when you went out and went outside the box and got Jeff Saturday out of a TV booth to become your head coach on an interim level, there was all kinds of chatter within the football ranks. And I'm talk- and I don't agree with it, but I'm talking about old, tired, retread coaches and talking heads and, uh, of the national, you know, that all questioned Jeff Saturday being hired as the head coach. And, of course, the pad for that or the pass for that came with, but it's only the interim. There was no Rooney rule. There's no protocol. It's just an interim head coach. But then if you go and hire him full time, now all of a sudden, I'm not going to say you have egg on your face, but now you've got to answer to that criticism because, yes, in fact, it looks like you had a calculated plan to go after a guy that was your guy and, therefore, you never had any indication of opening things up. And that's a little ridiculous to say about Jim Irsay, who obviously hired the first ever African-American coach to win a Super Bowl. And I think doesn't care one iota about, um, I mean, in other words, I think he is as open-minded about those things as possible. I don't think he in any way, shape or form would shy away from someone based on their race, their ethnicity or whatever else. But because those questions were posed about him, they would only become more amplified and be more difficult to answer based on perception if Jeff Saturday's given the full-time position. That's not to say that the Colts should give in to perceptions, but, but it's going to be there. And I, and I think he knows it would be there. Well, what's funny about this is that means that Chris Ballard would have never hired himself a head coach, right? Correct. And we, Let's just say he's still here. I mean, Josh McDaniels, 11th hour left. You know, he was more Jim Irsay and Manning and Polin and Dungy that got Frank Reich into the door. Clearly, Chris Ballard was not on, at least to me, he was not on board with Jeff Saturday. Thus, Jim Irsay would be making, let's say, again, hypothetically, a Jim Harbaugh type of hire. So that wouldn't be his either. So that's interesting John, as hell. Imagine, can you imagine the possibility it, let's just say hypothetically that Chris Ballard leaves the Colts, and I don't know that that's going to happen, but if he does, let's just say hypothetically that they go ahead and make a coaching change, and then before the end of next or before the start of next season, Chris Ballard leaves. Can you imagine the possibility of any general manager in the National Football League being somewhere for six years, six, and in that six years, having four different head coaches or whatever it would be? and like four different predominant starting quarterbacks and not ever having hired the coach or drafted any of those quarterbacks. I mean, at some point you got to draft a quarterback and you got to run with it. But I think Chris Ballard knows that drafting a quarterback in terms of a franchise quarterback, drafting one puts you on the clock. And that's officially when your tenure begins. And kudos to him, man. He's been able to just keep putting that off, putting that, putting that off, putting that off. But look, the expiration date on that experiment is gone and judgment days here. 
And if he is going to be here, he's going to have to draft a quarterback this year. And I think he's avoided doing that for far too long. Jay Quarry's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I do want to switch gears. So you believe that Jeff Brom is going to find round number two, reportedly a possibility to land in his hometown of Louisville with the Cardinals? Think that's going to end up happening? I don't I, – I, I'm almost – I mean, I would be stunned if it doesn't because, first off, Jeff Brom's been a wonderful coach for Purdue. He's a, he's a, he's a really good guy. I mean, I, I, I don't know him, you know, but, but from the times I've been around him, I like him a great deal. He's been nothing but good to me and people around here, I think. He's been good for Purdue. Um, but, look, home is home. And – you know, Greg Rakestraw said earlier today, I think it was a really good way of saying it, that Jeff Brom is essentially from the Manning family of Louisville. You know, his father played at UofL. His sister um, is a collegiate star in the area, not at UofL. His brothers played at UofL. He played at UofL. And when the last go-round, you know, there were some obviously premature and ill-advised reports that he had accepted the job there. But I don't think anybody that was doing their due diligence said that. And then... In the end, obviously, he did not end up going there, but he has addressed that, including as recently as last offseason, to a function in Louisville where he said, listen, the timing just wasn't right then, but you never say never. And the reality is that Purdue is coming off of a good season where they went to the Big Ten Championship with the way things are going to be restructured within the Big Ten that's going to be challenging to get back to that point. And he's left Purdue in a better situation than when he arrived there if he were to leave, I don't see how he turns it down to be honest with you. And I, I, I applaud that. And I think people should respect that and say, you know what? There's not, there's no place like home. And that's what it is for Jeff Brom. And I think now it just seems like the stars have aligned and the timing's right. Uh, that'd be interesting. Boilermaker fans would uh, freak out a little bit over that. I would imagine. I know. So. The good news is he's left the program in a spot where I do think it's probably, you know, there's, there's some stuff in the cupboard there for somebody if they want to go out and try to get a coach. I think there are guys that would, that would want to come there because they've got good players and they've had some success of late and the fans are interested. And, and look, well, they are the Big Ten West. Team. I mean, they're Big Ten West. And even with USC and UCLA coming in, uh, that's still going to be better than being uh, locked in in football in the uh, Big, Big Ten East. So, Right. For sure. I mean, who the hell knows how long Lincoln Riley is going to be at USC anyway, too. I mean, who knows? But maybe longer than what I suggest right here. Uh, Pacers, part two of a back-to-back tonight. I don't know if you watched them last night, lose to Portland. Get Golden State coming up later on tonight. No Tyrese Halliburton or TJ McConnell last night. Looks like the same, too. Certainly Halliburton's not going to play later on tonight. You look back at this trip, and um, it looks, as of right now, this may end up being a one-winner from these seven that they played out West. Yeah. And this is kind of what they were, they were warning us about, right. Was listen, there are going to be some times, some, some growing pains and some tough stretches. The thing that, that not as of concern, but I think that we're already starting to see Benedict Mathurin's a wonderful player and he's going to be a great player for this franchise for a long time, but you know, rookies, man, it's tough. I mean, they're not used to playing this many games in this short amount of time and flying around and doing it. And, you know, we saw it with, with obviously with Duarte, I'm not saying he's hit the rookie wall just yet, but you definitely go through peaks and valleys. His, his production and his energy's dropped just a little bit. Um, and, and not having Halliburton out there who has been spectacular this season, 
not having him out there obviously hurts them. And then, you know, all of a sudden you lose both your point guards. You're, you're hurt a little bit there. But, you know, they come back and then they, obviously, I think Washington, after they go to Minnesota, do a chance to write things out. But, John, this is probably the reality, right? I mean, I know that they got oh, yeah. an unbelievably good start. Um, but they're probably realistically a 35 to 40 win team this year. But I love the fact that the nucleus is strong and the outlook is positive and, you know, you can see silver linings for them. It's different than the Colts situation where it's just hard to grasp at reasons why there's optimism. Optimism was big on Wednesday in Bloomington. I'm not saying it faded at all, but it was a similar issue. You know, it's funny. Mike Woodson said before that game at Rutgers, Jake, on Saturday, I think he said that to Don Fisher, that rebounding would be a key, and they just got absolutely worked in the first half on the defensive glass by Rutgers. And then, you know, obviously outside of Miller Cup, not being able to knock down outside shots. And then Rutgers, they pack in on Trace Jackson Davis. He makes some mistakes trying to get the ball out of there. Um, struggles with finding any sort of rhythm whatsoever. We've seen that song and dance from IU teams offensively before, haven't we? We have. And I, I think, you know, a lot of teams are going to go to Rutgers, and I don't know how good Rutgers is this year, but that's, you know, they play well at home. They, they, they can D up a little bit. I, the, the challenge for Indiana is going to be in games when, you know, Trace Jackson Davis, they're going to have days when they collapse on him. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And there's going to be, you know, there is challenge there. You can offset that if you can score from the outside. And if you're not shooting the ball well, I mean, I know Miller Cop shot the ball well, but outside of that, if you've got games where Xavier Johnson, Tamar Bates, Race Thompson, where they're giving you no mid-range or outside game, and Trace Jackson Davis has defenses collapsing on him, you're going to be in some trouble. And I think you're going to see teams in the Big Ten do that, just try to out-physical Trace Jackson Davis, take him away, and then take your chances. And you can do that against Indiana because they don't have, I don't think, the consistent outside shooting still that they'd like. When Xavier Johnson's on, he's a very good player, but he is still a streak shooter, and if their shots are not falling from the outside and you've taken Davis away, Indiana's in some trouble. Now, having said that, I think they're going to be fine, and I do think that Indiana, the way that they guard in particular, yeah. you know, you know, they're going to be able to offset that on some nights. But there are going to be nights where they're, they're just, they struggle, and, and certainly a Rutgers is one of them. Hey, listen, I said this earlier, too. I mean, Purdue and Zach Eady against Minnesota was outstanding. But they're going to hit a run or two along the way. It's just inevitable. And it's going to be how you respond from that and to keep those situations in the Big Ten for both of those teams at a minimum. No doubt about that. All right, man. I appreciate you more than you know. What do you guys got coming up on the big show in the morning? Uh, tomorrow morning we'll be talking. Obviously, you know, look, the Colts discussion will continue for certain. Uh, but we're going to talk a little Purdue football and find out more about this Jeff Brom situation and what that might mean. And then uh, we'll be taking a look back at the Pacer game as well. Yeah, later on. You going to stay up and watch it? Probably. I'm up to like one every night anyway. Yeah. You know, the other night I was watching. Uh, what the hell was I watching? Forget what I was up watching. It was really late, but. A movie from 1983 came on called Blame It on Rio. Have you ever seen it? Of course. You kidding me? Michelle Johnson and Demi Moore were running around on a, a Rio beach with no tops on. There was, there was frontal nudity. And it's weird. Like, I thought it was much better back when I was 13 than I guess it looked when I was 53. That was weird. 
<laughs> but I'm thinking, well, how's okay. Michael Kane getting in on this? Hello, Michael Kane. What in the world's happening here? Prime Demi Moore is something else, man. She still looks good. Would you go that era, Demi Moore, or would you go 90s <clears throat> after Demi Moore? Which one do you like better? The strip tease Demi Moore or the blame it on Rio Demi Moore or the about last night Demi Moore? What do you got? I like experience, man. Unlike the NFL <laughs> with my quarterback, I like experience. <laughs> I tell you what, I love about last night. I couldn't stand Elizabeth Perkins. I thought, who in the world I mean, would want to date here. this? She was such oh, just a pruned-faced griper the entire time. Like, good Lord, I mean, man. Like, good thing you have a hot friend there, because right? nobody's going to be hanging around your ass. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I look at this way too deep, man. I do. All right. I'll let you go, man. Tomorrow morning, here's 7 until 10 a.m. Maybe more ain't got interest in us no matter what era it is. So, you know, uh, whatever. I would have tried, though, man. I would have tried. I would have failed miserably. But I, I tried so much. I tried. I, it was never with lack of effort, right? Maybe the lack of execution. I didn't have the skill set that was necessary. But, man, that didn't mean I didn't try. I got run home a couple of times, no doubt, but I tried. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Take it easy, buddy. I have to watch that tonight. You got it. uh, Jake Query right there. Morning show, Kevin and Query. Weekday mornings here, 7 until 10 a.m. on The Fan.